Um, this morning, uh, we're going to speak on, and, and sometimes we ask this question, and the Bible brings it out very, very clearly. You know, why do we groan? What are the reasons that we groan? You can see that, and we went over it uh, yesterday, but in Romans, the eighth chapter, you can see it very, very clearly uh, there. You could see why we groan and the reasons for it. Now, one reason that we groan, and we weren't able to bring this out yesterday, but we will today, one of the reasons that we groan is in Romans, the seventh chapter. Romans, the seventh chapter, because and when you see in that chapter, <clears throat> you see, and it's a born-again believer, because if you didn't have uh, Romans 3, chapter 3, chapter 4, 5, and 6, you wouldn't even be in 7. You wouldn't be in. And, and the fact of the matter is, that's the reason why in Romans 7, we groan. That's the place where in Romans 1 and verse 17, it says, the just will live by faith. We go from faith to faith. So faith means, in Romans 1 verse 17, that's a mountaintop experience. We're experiencing truth. We have this truth that God has given us. And the reason that he has is because in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase. It's emphatic in the Greek, Koine Greek New Testament. He must increase increase, but I must decrease. We're not increasing in our position. We're complete in Colossians 2.10 in our position in Christ. Okay, so what is, be, what is being, he must increase, but I must decrease, is he's bringing into my experience, okay, the groaning that has to do with the decrease that has to do with the flesh that's in us, in Romans 8, 9, but that we're not of. So John 3, 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. So in Romans 1, verse 17, we grow in grace and in knowledge in 2 Peter 3, 18. That's a mountaintop experience. But what makes a valley? It's two mountaintops. And it says the, the just, those that have been cleared of all guilt and condemnation, who we've been made to be in Christ with a proper image, okay, that's, we, we're continuing to grow in that. It's a mountaintop experience, okay? So we go from faith, absolute dependence, and when I depend upon him, submit my will to him, I experience a little more, a little more what my position is in my experience as I grow. That's a mountaintop. But then to continue, he has to work it in. And that transition place, that little word too, in Romans 1 and verse 17, is the transition where he has to, where the decrease takes place. Then, ah, we learn and we grow, and we're growing, we're climbing the mountain, and we have a mountaintop experience. That's Romans 1, verse 17. And so when it says that, that's what's bringing on it. So, the first, the reason why we groan, one of the reasons that we do groan, okay, is the groaning has to do with, in Romans, the seventh chapter, there's 40 times, I circled it, in a bunch of Bibles, it's I, me, myself. I, me, myself. Okay? I, everything is about me. I, me, myself. You see it there. 
some 40 times. It's kind of it's kind of like equal to the uh, 29th chapter of Job. Job before he reached Job 32, 1 and 2, and then went into Job 42 in a proper experience. The whole time, everything was about him. Every single thing was about him. And when everything is about when everything was about him, and when everything is about the believer, in Romans, the seventh chapter, what do we experience? What is God teaching us? And we groan. So the groaning there is, has to do with the flesh. And is there any profit there? Romans 7, 18. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul the Apostle said, I know that is in me, and then he stopped, that is in my flesh, dwells what? No good thing. No good thing. So, when he said that, and he's, he brought it out, like in the, and that's the believer in the seventh chapter. So in other words, if you're going forward with God, if you desire to go forward, and this is where the enemy can come in and be very subtle. In Genesis 3, verse 1, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he's very, very subtle. This is where he brings in confusion because if you're going to go forward in growth with God and understanding and functioning in your proper image, which has to do with your position in Christ, if you're going to go forward, you have to go down to go forward. And that's where he's working all these things out. So we'll groan in that way. We groan. So that's one of the reasons that we groan. Now, you saw, when you see the parable of the talents, and you get into uh, certain scriptures there, and if I can remember correctly, yeah, it's Luke 21 and verse 19. He came to the one man, and there were different ones that, in this parable that this individual had given others these talents for them to do something with. The last one, the one that he gave the one talent to when he came to him and said, you know, okay, so what did you do with yours? And his response was, well, I knew that you were very austere. You are very hard. And in the flesh, that's what we think of God. We think he's hard. We don't understand certain things. And when we don't understand, then we think we think God's hard. And a lot there's a lot that goes into that. But he said, You were hard, so I went and buried it in a napkin. I went and buried it because you're hard. But really, what is the thing that would be hard in us and cause us to groan? Wouldn't it be for trying to function in the flesh? In 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 that will? Remember again. I know that's in me, that's in my flesh, the apostle said, dwells no good thing. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that imparts life, that quickens, imputes and imparts life. And the words that I speak unto you, uh, they are spirit and they're life. The flesh doesn't profit a single thing. So, so there's that kind of groaning. And we groan. We groan over that and because the truth of the matter is whose heart or whose will is really hard? <laughs> I mean, God gave us his only son. 
as believers. I mean, he's done everything. God himself did not hold back. See, this man in Luke 21, 19 felt like God was holding back. That's what the enemy in the garden in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, that's what he was telling Eve. God is holding back something from you. He wants it all for himself. And of course, she believed that lie. She, she believed that lie. And from that point on, from that point on, there's going to be groaning in the wrong sense because that's where we got this fleshly nature, this natural fleshly nature. They were the only ones that were created in, in innocence. Not another human being was ever created in innocence from that time. So we groan. So we do groan. Now, when we function in the flesh or if we don't have teaching, proper teaching, right? If we don't have that, what happens to us? If we don't abide and stay, remember what, what Jesus said in John 15, verse 6, if you don't abide in me, and this is experience, by the way, for the Christian, John, and this is very important to understand this, in John the 15th chapter in verses 6 through 11, the abiding there for the Christian is in a proper experience. We can never, ever get out of our position once Christ has placed us through our will submitting. He'll, he'll never change his mind. We, we've said Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord, your God, I change not. And these gifts don't change in James 1 and verse 17 because in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. That does not change, that doesn't. But when we lose, we mentioned some of these things yesterday, when we lose the sense of grace, because is God, is God, in 1 Peter 5.10, is he the God of all grace? Towards the believer in Christ, is that who he is? Yeah, that's all he is. Why? Because he's given us his son. And his son is that one that was and is filled up with all that grace and truth is in John 1 verse 14. So, but when we lose the sense of grace, okay, when we lose that, what happens to us? We get hard. Let's get tired and everything about us, we groan, it's groaning. But it's a groaning where there's intense irritation, disbelief, worry, all these kind of things go on in that type of, of groaning. But when we lose that sense of his grace, and God was bringing this out to me, I mentioned yesterday, personally for me and, and his counsel towards me in the morning is when we lose the sense of grace, does anything make sense? Does anything make sense apart from God? His word, our savior, his word, the Bible, does anything? No, so everything else makes what? Everything else is what? It's nonsense. Listen, think about it. I mean, every single thing outside the sense of his grace. And who does he give grace to? In 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4 and verse 6, God gives grace to those, what? To the humble. Does that mean he's asking us to humble ourselves? No, we never would in the flesh. God's plan, which is perfect in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 and 2 Samuel 22 and verse 31 and then in Psalm 18 verse 30, his way is perfect and his plan is perfect. His way is perfect because it, does God have any other way than his son in John 14, 6? No other way. Can man know his way outside that? 
in Proverbs 20, 24, and Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, way of man's not in himself. It's not. We, we, it's not. It's not. God hasn't left it up to us in one single area in our, in, in our growth in Christ to make anything make sense to us outside of his word. Nothing makes sense. So we don't look at anything or anybody outside, especially believers with, with each other, we don't look at each other outside the sense of grace. Because if I do, what am I thinking in? Am I thinking in my position? Is my experience the equal of my position? So I may see this person having a bad day, this Christian having a bad day. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, well, no. But are you... And am I my bad day, my worst day? And we have them, we struggle. Am am I even my struggles? No. So this whole thing that God is doing, that he's working in us, is the sense of grace. In other words, it's proper image. And a proper image about who Christ has made me to be in my own individuality. Okay? If I, when I function in that, I function in a cleansed conscience. But if I don't, if I don't, a defiled conscience instead of the pure conscience that we have in Christ because of him. You see in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, we have a cleansed conscience. The blood and the finished work of Christ in Hebrews 9, verse 14, has cleansed our conscience, listen to what it says, from dead works. For the Christian, what are dead works? Functioning in the flesh. Why is it called dead works? Because as far as God is concerned, is our old self been crucified? As far as he's concerned in Romans 6, 1 to 6. Yep. As far as he's concerned, it's done. It is done. And as far as, 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 far as he has seen what Christ has done for each of us as an individual, it's done. Conscience is cleansed. But how far do we see ourselves in our experience? See, because in our experience, this is where we grow. So that's why time's the greatest opportunity. Because honestly, God is using time. Listen, if we only understood this as Christians, God is using time to train us to rule and reign for all eternity. Think about that. That's what makes time so very important. And that's what makes it so important for him. For him to be uh, the planner. You know, you have those planners. We write things down. We plan what we're going to do. Did we check with the planner to see what his plan was? Seeing as how he had that plan for us before we were born. And he had the vision to see everything that would happen in time before I ever did and made a plan. We do have a cleansed conscience. We have a pure conscience. In Titus 1, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to them that don't believe, and why would we not believe? Wouldn't it be the enemy has brought the lie that in our conscience something is defiled? Something maybe we fell short of. And he wants to get at, he wants to convince us that in these certain areas in our life, that's who we are, and we forget who we are in Christ. That's a lot of that goes into that groaning. We groan. We groan. So, again, and so when we do that in the flesh, okay, when we don't have the sense of grace, when we don't, honestly, all all we do is put ourselves back under the law. 
So we do. Okay, I got to correct it. Okay, I got to do something. All right, I pray, God, I promise, you know, you know, I promise if you give me grace, I'll never do this again. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. It's where you get all this legalistic preaching and teaching. It has nothing to do with a cleansed conscience, purged conscience, a proper image in Christ. And that's why we groan, we groan. Think of how many Christians groan because of legalistic teaching, not understanding, because we have to remember, okay, we have to remember in John 1, verse 14, Christ, when he put on humanity, he was filled up of all that grace and truth is. Right? That's what it says. He says also, again, in, in John 1 and, and verse 17, for the law came by what? As a, as a means, it came through Moses. Why did God give the law for Moses to his people? Because they were telling God that they, they were going to do things for him in their fallen, ruined state. And without him, what can we do in John 15, 1 through 5? Can't do a single thing. We can't do anything. He's the, he is the fulfillment of God for us in terms of our need in Philippians 4 and verse 19. And that's why only as our will is submitted to him, we can do all things through Christ. That's a submitted will. And so... What he tries to do, the enemy tries to do, is convince us. And now, it's so easy to forget God, isn't it? Get caught up in the details of life. I mean, even, even in proper blessings, in, you know, these blessings that God gave us, these blessings of grace with material things, he never meant for those things to replace him. But as soon as they do, and those things go away, and we don't have the sense of grace, Think we get a little bit irritable? We start to groan. <laughs> we can do it in a heartbeat. We can. But when we lose the sense of this grace, we no longer continue in the reality of a cleansed conscience. Now, we lose our taste for everything, don't we? You know, in Psalm 34 and verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But to taste, what has to happen? In Psalm 34 and verse 2, it says, let the humble hear thereof and be glad. See, God's whole plan for us is designed to humble us. Because that's the only way, when he finally gets us to submit our will to him, that we can function in the sense of his grace. And don't function in the lie of a defiled conscience. Right? Isn't that what we had in the flesh, in the natural? It's the only kind of conscience we had. It was defiled through a fall, got ruined. We were ruined, and we were ruined in, in that particular uh, condition, in that state, in that, in that position. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, verse 9, it is a good thing for the heart, and you know the heart is the mind, snooze, it's our mind, okay? It's not, it's, that's what it is, it's in the cardia, the heart, physical thing, it's the mind. It is a good thing for our minds to be established in grace. It's a good thing. Because if, if the sense of grace and the truth that Christ is our foundation, and when we try to build on that, that's not our foundation, okay, then our emotions are going to be like the sand in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. It's going to be, our life's going to be up and down. Good one minute, bad the next. Good one minute, bad the next. And you know, we all experience this. The height the height of a, a beautiful experience with Christ, and then it seems like in a millisecond what we can go down to. 
And isn't it usually, I don't know about you, but I know for me, isn't it usually those small things that we get make so big? And, uh, and that's why it says in Zechariah 4 and verse 10, despise not, don't lightly esteem the day of small things. The little areas of, of obeying him and not skipping them over. The little areas, and we know that we should live in obedience, all of us. And, uh, and, though, and we need to remember too, with conviction, not condemnation, but the conviction of his love and his grace that's so for us is that those little things that we think that we can just skip over so much were the things that cost Christ his life. <laughs> they did. Because God is so rigidly righteous, it says in Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, his eyes are so pure. And I want us to think about this. His eyes are so pure that he cannot look upon sin. Can't even do it. And, and when he looks upon sin apart, from the grace and truth of his son and what he's accomplished, there can only be wrath. And that's what the enemy tries to convince us of when we stop functioning experientially in our proper position, in our proper image and identity. And identity. See, he wants us, the enemy wants us to identify with our sin and groan. Even in the sense of 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, okay, it's there and so many Christians are taught, that's, that's what you pray. You pray to be forgiven of that sin. Excuse me. We wouldn't even be able to confess it if we weren't absolutely already forgiven. Did he already pay for all of our sins? He did. But when we live in them, what, what and the enemy convinces us that certain things, we don't need to continually depend upon him. We don't need the word continually. We, other things replace it. And he, replace, he, he replaces it with a lot of other things. But those are the other things that he uses. He knows they're going to wear out, that he, are going to cause us to groan. And think God is so hard. To think God is so hard. Fact of the matter is that that's why it's good for our hearts to be established in grace. It's very important for that to happen. Okay? Because remember, we need to remember in Romans Five, one and two, we stand in grace. Standing there speaks of our position. So when you see stand, you'll see that in Ephesians uh, 6, 11 and, and 13 in the midst of spiritual warfare. When it says stand, having done all to stand, stand speaks of our position. That's our standing, our position. Right? But what is our state or our condition? That speaks of our experience. And is my experience the equal of my position? See? Why am I groaning? So we groan, we groan for, for, for the reason of the flesh. We groan for that. And that's what God is, is, is in, our, in this teaching in time that's so very important for us, is doing away with that. Right? But the moment, and it takes a moment for us to get away from God and get distracted. In a moment, in a moment when we get away from the presence of God, instantly, when it's not his thought, which is who I am in Christ, immediately my own thoughts start working. And where are they going to lead to? They're going to lead to groaning. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> He's given us grace upon grace. Of his fullness, it says in John 1 and verse 16, have we all received? That's position. 
of his fullness have we all received. That's position. And grace for grace, that goes into experience. The for there is anti. Anti means grace built up upon grace built up upon grace. We're continually growing in grace built up upon grace, built up upon grace. And then even when I fail, <clears throat> okay, and I, I fail, what happens? The first John 1 9. Confess it. And get right back into him heaping grace upon grace. Who I am continually in my new image. And it keeps out that that groaning. And that's why we groan. We get away from God his full thought about who he's made us to be in Christ, and our own thoughts start working. And are they our own thoughts? Or are they the lies of the enemy? In John 8, verse 44. Is any of us our own master? The enemy wants to convince us that we are. I don't know about you, but I know one thing for sure. The one thing that I do know for sure is, is that everything, I don't know, I, I, I say it like this. For all of you that chose to be born, raise your hand. Oh, so you mean to tell me that even when my, my parents decided to have a child or when they didn't and they still had one, that had to do with just them? Do you ever read in John 15, verse 16, where it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I've ordained that you should go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. See, salvation didn't have just to do with God's choice. Like the wrong, evil teaching that some would believe that God would apportion, apart from anyone else's will, apportion some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Our salvation, let me tell you something, first and foremost had to do with God's will. But it didn't bypass our will because then it wouldn't be unconditional. To teach, to teach that would be to teach that God didn't care about our will. You're going to be saved, like it or not. That's love? Of course it's not. I mean, God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional and it's also self-sacrificial love. And there's no... Self-sacrificial love experienced in that in fleshly groaning. See, it's not, it's not remembering who he's made us to be. So when we look at that, can our thoughts in the flesh ever reach up to his thoughts, to God's thoughts? It's impossible. That's why he said in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, he said, as, as high as my thoughts are not your thoughts. He said that in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Aren't you glad? I am. Neither are my ways your way. It's important to submit to him. My way is not your way. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my thoughts above you. You're on the earth, apart from anything else. Go up into the heavens. You gonna do it? No. And then you and then that's what he was teaching even the Jews, Israel, in Deuteronomy the thirtieth chapter, in those first fourteen verses. You don't have to say, How can I do this? God, I can't do this. No, Philippians four verse thirteen says, I can do all things through Christ, which makes me mighty, because it's his might. 
I can do them. No, I can't. It's too hard. No, that's the will that's not submitted. <laughs> that's the hard heart, the will. That's the, the hard mind and emotions, uh, the will, the, the self-consciousness and the conscience. And everything ends up getting dumped into that conscience. And that conscience was what? That's who I am, defiled? That's who I am? Is that who we are in Christ? Our thoughts can never reach up. Never, never can. But his thoughts will, he's made it very clear. Wherever he sends his thoughts, his word, it accomplishes what only he can accomplish. So when I submit to him, okay, it keeps out that bad groaning. Okay, it keeps that out. There is, there is again, so that's Romans the seventh chapter, the fleshly groaning, where we're groaning. Where the, he has to work in, he wants to work in the increase, but there has to be a decrease, right? I mean, if someone's, if a whole family is living in the house and you bought it, until they move out, can you move in? No. That's the principle of John 3 and verse 30. And the principle also is 3 and verse 27. Can a man receive anything except it come from heaven? See, everything we had, Christ had to come from heaven in John 1, 14. The word had to put on flesh and be born on this earth. He had to enter into time, eternal life in time. Amazing. Amazing when we think about it. So again, it's impossible for us without the sense, proper sense, preaching and teaching of grace and truth about who we are in Christ to make any proper decision. It doesn't even, because everything ends up in what? It ends up in nonsense. It's impossible. No reasoning of our minds could ever reach up to the grace of God. That's why he had to come down. We could never go in, ever. We're in a ruined state. We could not change. You know, the flesh in us does not change. We've said this before in Romans 8 and verse 9. We have the flesh in it. In it. And that's where we get these words in. And I can't emphasize it enough, understanding the word in and of when we read the Bible. In Romans 8, 9, the flesh is in us still, but we are not of it. <laughs> because he, it's making it clear, we wouldn't have the spirit guiding us and teaching us, okay, if we were in an unsafe state, an uns unsafe condition or standing. Our whole standing's been changed. Our whole position's been changed. Now that's being worked into our experience. Now we do groan, and that's Romans, the eighth chapter. And starting 8, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25, and you look in those verses, we do groan. <clears throat> it says the whole creation is groaning. The whole creation groans. Now, and we can, we can look at things. We look at things. We see sin. Uh, we see that. And, you know, the, in that sense, there is even when God, and we, this is why the Bible teaches us this, that's why the Holy Spirit, and this is so very key, the Holy Spirit is the only theologian and scholar. It's very interesting, that word, and we brought this up before, and we'll do it again. It's why it's called theo, theologian, a man saying, I am theologian. You're God? Theo is God. And, and logos is word. It has to do with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, theologian. And then he's a scholar. That's when he's God, 
theologian is teaching a scholar. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, is when we groan, is the only one that can come in without condemning us, showing us you're groaning because of the flesh, but not condemning us, but still showing us to get us back into, and there is proper groaning, by the way. That comes with suffering. In, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. And there's going to be proper groaning. Remember Jesus at the grave of Lazarus, he groaned. In John 11, verse 33, that's, some say we used to do, that's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Yeah, okay, great. Jesus groaned. He was identifying with us. He was groaning, and his groaning, and then he wept in John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The other shortest one is Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. <laughs> but he groaned. Jesus groaned. Because he looked at sin. He saw what it was doing to people. He saw the evil all around in this evil world system that we are in, but not of. We are in the world, Christians. You think you're going to get peace? You think you're going to get some kind of satisfaction in the world apart from the sense and submission to Christ and his word, his will, his way. You think so. It's going to only end up making you groan. Meaning you won't even properly enjoy those material blessings that God gave you without your creator. In other words, to think that a, crea a creature can do without their creator. I mean, all we have to do is look up <clears throat> and look at God's material creative signature in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. It's teaching us. What's it teaching us? Not only is it beautiful, but not, and not only, and it speaks a language too, and even creation's groaning, by the way. But not, it teach, teaches a language, and it's teaching that, see, see the beauty of it? But yet, in its beauty, we know, in Hebrews 1.3 and Hebrews 11.3, he's holding it together. He not only created it beautiful, but he holds it together. Same thing with you and I. See? Same thing. It's even teaching us. See, these material things, they're great. But to think that you, they, they can sustain you and hold you apart from your creator, oh, Lord, it just doesn't work. It won't work. You'll groan. But then there's proper groaning. And we do groan, don't you? And we can enter into a prayer life and groan for others. We can. And there's a groaning in 2 Corinthians 7.10 where it says that, that godly sorrow works a repentance, a change of mind that's without regret. That's the Holy Spirit coming in saying, see, this, this groaning in the flesh, let me bring it over here. And you have a privilege now to suffer with him in groaning and to reign with him. Because was Christ still reigning is who he is in who he was there in John 11, verse 33? Absolutely. Did death even take him? Did it in John 10, 17 and 18? Absolutely not. And some think, and, and God wants us to have a proper, proper picture in our mind, a proper image that Christ wasn't just this, when he was on Calvary, there was intense suffering and groaning. But it wasn't like, oh, death was taking him. And when he cried out in John 19, 30, Tetelestai, it is finished. 
It was a cry of victory. It's finished. And he gave himself over to death. Because in giving himself over to death, he was much more powerful than death. Much more powerful than that that would separate us from him. And the enemy wants to cause us to be separated in our experience. He can't touch our position. Sin doesn't even do that. Because it's our relationship, it's our position. But it will touch the experience. See, and that's what the enemy wants to go after. Positional truth being untouched is 1 John 5, 18. The wicked one touches us not. But can he touch me when he tempts me and I give in to that temptation in my experience? Yes, but is it who I am? No. Is it wrong to be tempted in, in James 1.12? No. But will I experience the wrong and the groaning when I do give in to it? Yes, but is that how God still sees me? No, nope. So now we can have proper groaning and that proper groaning that we have was the groaning there. And remember the whole time that Jesus was walking on, on the face of the earth, remember he said, he said even in himself, uh, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Colossians 2.9 says he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Greek says that the whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth in his impeccable humanity, he was filled up with all that God is. <laughs> because in his humanity was he still the son of God. And to be the son of God, could he be separated from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? No. <laughs> He was filled up with all that God is. Very interesting how it says in Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him, which means, again, and you are filled up in him. Oh, my God. So when I see Romans 8.31, and I see Psalm 56, verse 9, God is for me. Well, God is for me. Who's God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all for me. And when Jesus said, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is with you right now, when he was saying that to his disciples in John 14, 16, he was saying in himself was the fullness of the Spirit. But he said, there's going to come a time when he will not only be with you, but he'll be in you. And that was when he would go to the cross and be crucified, go down to the grave, not hell. You need to remember Christ never went into hell. He went into the grave. That's why he said in Psalm 16, verse 10, you will not allow my body, flesh, my body to see corruption in the grave. Things deteriorate. And then he went up into heaven because he finished the work. The resurrection is the proof that God is completely satisfied with us and every single individual that's in Christ because the measure of the Father's satisfaction is who Christ has made us to be in each of us. He's fully satisfied. Wow. He said, he will be in you in 1470. He said, I'm going to give you another comforter. And here's the other comforter. So now, as we close it this morning, we have two comforters. The believer has two comforters. One, we, of course, we need Christ, and he is our comfort. He said, I'm going to give you another comforter. We have the comforter of God, the comforter of, of God the Son, the Scriptures. But we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit to take the written word and make it a life-giving force, the living word. That's Hebrews 4.12. The word of the Lord is living. 
okay? Quick is an old English word, you know, like in English, he, he's quick. No, that's an old English word for living. The word of God is living. How does it live? When it separates self-conscious living in the flesh where we groan and bringing us into a proper understanding because it's not only given us to believe on him, to experience who we are in Christ in a proper image in Philippians 1, 28, but in verse 29, also to suffer with him. And that's a, to suffer with him and to groan with him is, is a high privilege. It's a high privilege. And that's where we groan. But we need two comforters to even groan the proper way. Because now we have Christ in heaven. Everything that he went through, every single thing that he went through as a human being, an impeccable humanity, and he's the only one that ever had it. Okay? Even, even the, the humanity that, was, that, that Christ in his pre-incarnate state created Adam, Adam, bread, bread man out of the clay, the, the dust of the earth. When he created him, he created him in innocence. He didn't create him in perfect life. That didn't happen until after he fell and then he received Christ. It was innocence. But now he, in, in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, I love that verse, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our life, is ever living, interceding for us. God. In Hebrews 9, verse 26, he ever lives as our comforter in heaven. He's interceding for us. That intercession, many times we thought, well, as soon as he sinned, he begins, he starts to intercede for us. No. No. In his anticipative love, in his prevenient grace, Remember, he anticipates love, and and that means he's loving us even when we don't experience it. He knows that when we get to this place, finally, in our growth, we submit. We're going to, oh boy, this intensity of love. That's anticipative love. Prevenient grace is the grace that God gives us, okay, when our will hasn't even received it yet. That's Matthew 5, 44 and 45. He makes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. That's logistical grace in that sense for them. For us, it has to do with that saving grace for us that are in Christ. So we have the comforter in heaven. We need that to be constantly reminded about our heavenly position. The book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, our heavenly position. But so we need that, don't we? And we have Christ in it, but we need another comforter and that's the Holy Spirit while we're on earth. Our position is heaven. That's truth. But for our experience to be the equal of our position as heavenly people in a proper image, those that are in Christ, we need the Holy Spirit to comfort us. And that's what we have. He's the, the, the second comforter in Romans, not in terms of value or anything. It's all God. <laughs> but now we have another comforter in Romans 8, verse 26. And when we read that, it says, we, when we don't even know how to pray, when we're going through the intensity of things, and sometimes they're so intense, we can't even understand them. The intensity of, we see the evil out there, things that happen to people, our loved ones, friends, people, unsaved, all of this evil, we see that. And that's what was causing Jesus to groan at the grave of Lazarus. 
He saw what death was doing, separating people. Not only in time, but for all eternity. And he groaned in John 11, verse 33. And he's given us that privilege to groan with him properly. If you're, you know, suffering and groaning, right? So we have the Holy Spirit. And what it says there is, is when we don't even know how to pray or articulate it. It's so intense for us that all, you ever do that? You just groan? How many has ever groaned? You've been in the intensity of a trial, if you see, or you see a loved one in the intensity of trial and things they're going through. And all you can do, it's so intense, all you do is groan. But what Romans 8, verse 26 is saying, this is the comforter of the Holy Spirit. And this is what God wants to comfort us with in the right comfort here. Is that even when we can't articulate, we don't even know how to bring the intensity of that prayer, the Holy Spirit does it. He does. He knows it. He's God. He knows it. And he can take that, that prayer that maybe is incomplete and we don't understand, and he brings it right to the one who does. Right? Because he had, human, he had a human nature too. He knew what it was like to groan the right way. He didn't have a fleshly nature. He never groaned the wrong way. His groaning was all, all his groaning had to do with the Father and to propitiate him about the sin question, and for us, in a right sense, in identification. So there's a proper way to groan. There is a proper way to groan. There is. There is for us, in that sense. The enemy, and we'll see this, uh, you know, I think we, we might even see it again Wednesday, and then maybe Thursday and Friday again, but because this is so... It's such an amazing subject, and it just takes time. But the enemy wants us, and what he tries to do to bring in, remember, as we close this morning in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of what? Confusion. Confusion. Trying to take two things and make them one. God is not the author of confusion, but separation, contracting, uh, you know, contrast and conjunction, contrast and separation, but of life and peace. Christ is our life, Colossians 3, 4. Ephesians 2, 14, he's our peace. God does all things, all things, in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, decently and in order. Christ is his only order, is he not? He's done everything. The enemy wants to take those two things and fuse them and make them one, the two groanings. Groaning in the flesh and then groaning for this. And if I merge those two together, then the flesh takes precedence. But when it's cut away through teaching, proper experience based upon position, Hebrews 4.12, when that's cut away, now we know what this groaning is, proper groaning, ruling, reigning, ruling and reigning. And so the enemy, he wants to fuse those and bring them together as one, right? And then somehow God is hard, things are hard, we can't do it, things are way too hard. That's what the enemy wants to do. But greater is he that is in us, than 1 John 4, 4, than he that's in the world. We may be in the world, just Jesus was in the world in John 17, verse 14, listen, but nothing about him was of it. We, in John 17, verse 16 now, are in the world, but nothing about this world is of us. 
but the enemy wants to infiltrate the world and all its total regret and pain and lack of comfort and groaning. He wants to bring that in to the Christian's experience because he can't touch the position. So he wants to fuse the two and do away with the other. We have a privilege to groan with him in in a beautiful way. And trusting too, by the way. There wasn't a second that Christ did not trust God for his complete human, his whole human walk. He always, in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15, 3, he always did those things that pleased the Father. And there is, we are in suffering now. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time in Romans 8, 18 are not even worthy to be compared to the, to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us. Oh my God, what a time that will be. So that's why we have proper teaching and understanding. So, so we can see, and God wants, to con- wants us to continue. He wants to continue to rule and reign over us through the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us. That's our proper position. And our proper experience as Christians is, listen, we are more than conquerors in Romans 8, verse 37, because there's nothing left to conquer. It's just now separating the flesh, from who we are in Christ, in Hebrews 4.12. And then we walk in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6.16. First, we have to have the shield of faith, all those proper teachings. So when the fiery missiles of hell come in, we can quench them. And then above all things, taking the shield of faith and having on the helmet of salvation and having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that means we have peace within. That's right. That's right. And this proper groaning with proper peace, because that's settled. That's a settled issue. But then we need to take the sword of the Spirit. Submit. And he takes Christ and shows us. See this? It's not who you are. It's flesh. Proper groaning. And not mixing the two. So, Father, thank you this morning uh, for this uh, short portion in in the word here uh, for us and Only you can take these things and give us proper understanding, each and every single one of us. We all are in agreement with you, you, Christ. For each of us individually and corporately in this local assembly, you're our confession. Not a profession through lack of a proper experience, but an absolute confession of a proper image. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.